let us start. I'll tell you exactly where we are. Numbered base, omad base. And we are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lines from the bottom. Okay, Lamad base, omad base, eight lines from the bottom, double dots, Afila Hamelech. Okay. Has everybody got it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, right. What we said, this is a sort of a quote from the Mishnah, which said that if you're in the middle of Shmanesra, Afilu Hamelech Shalbashlama, even if the king inquires as to your welfare, nevertheless, La Yushivenu, you should not answer him, you should not respond. So carries on the Gemara, Omar Rav Yosef, says Rav Yosef, Shanu Elo Lamalcha Yisrael. This din of that if a king, even if a king greets you, you shouldn't respond, that was only referring to Malchai Yisrael, to Jewish kings. But if a non-Jewish king comes to greet you and you're in the middle of Shemaneshra, middle of the Amida, you must immediately stop. Why? Because if you don't stop, you're putting your life at risk because, uh, as we will see, a story coming up very shortly, uh, the king might well take umbrage to you and could consider, could uh, do a great harm to you. So it's uh, so to say, you're putting your life at risk. You must answer. In fact, as I mentioned last time, Rabbi Wozner from the, the famous poet from Bnei Baruch, he wrote a book called Shevet Halevi, and in which he said, from this Gemara, we learn out. That Hatsola, the sort of first aid organization, Hatsola are only allowed to respond in the middle of Shemana Esra if it is Pekuach Nefesh. That means if to save a life. In other words, if they're called in the middle of Shemana Esra for, for, I don't know, an ingrown toenail or something like that, they, they, they cannot interrupt. And we see that from this Gemara because it says you're allowed to interrupt Shemana Esra where your life is in danger. In other words, for a Jewish king, where your life is not in danger, he won't kill you, you can't interrupt. But if a non-Jewish king who might kill you, so your life is in danger, you may interrupt. Mesavay. Gamara asks a question. If anyone wants to ask any questions, please feel free to do that. Mesavay. How, how would Hatsola know uh, if, if it's in danger or not? Um, well, <laughs> that you've got a good, <laughs> you're asking a very good question. I'm afraid I can't answer that. If, if it somehow does come to knowledge of somebody in the middle of Shmanesra, then it's, uh, you know, for something like that, it could be somebody who's standing next to him in shul. Right. Basically, the Gemara asks a question. Somebody's in the middle of davening. And he sees a, a violent person coming towards him. Or Karan by connector. He observes as a wagon coming towards him. In other words, he's in danger of life. Shouldn't interrupt his filler, but he should shorten it and then go. Now, this seems to be a contradiction to what we just learned, because we just learned that if a non-Jewish king greets you, so your life will be in danger if you don't respond, you may do so. So why do we say here, when your life is in danger, you see a violent person coming towards you or a wagon coming towards you, where your life is in danger, you do not, should not stop, but just shorten your prayer. Answer the Gemara, Allah, Kasha, that is not a problem. Hold it, Eshelah, Katsa, Yekatsa. 
when it's a possibility of being able to shorten it, you should do that. Rashi says, the bottom Rashi, Efcha, He's very near, very close to the finish of his filler. So he's got enough time to quickly finish off and then go. And that's, in such a case, he should do that. But if that's not possible, if he's in the middle of the Shemonesra and he knows that this person is coming towards him and there is no chance of being able to finish Shemonesra, then he's going to be Pisic, he has got to interrupt. So that fits in very well with what we've just learned. Now we come to a very interesting story. Tom Rabon, there was a story which occurred, the pious man, who was davening on the road. A certain general came and get, greeted him. But this person, this chosid, did not return the greeting to him. Him till life just seems to So the general waited for him until he had finished his philosophy. After he finished his prayer, Omala he said to him, Reka, you empty-headed person. It's written in your Torah, be careful, guard your life. and another posuk, you should protect your life. In other words, don't put yourself in danger. And he carries on, and this is the general speaking to the Chosid, saying, When I greeted you, why did you not return the greeting to me? If I would have cut off your head with a sword, would anyone have blamed me? I mean, I'm a general, and I come and greet you, and you don't respond, how dare you? Oh my Lord, so the, the, the pious man said to him, Hamten Li, be patient with me, I will explain to you why I didn't greet you. Let me defend myself. Oh my Lord, says the pious man said to him, Had you, this is the Chosid speaking to the general, if you'd been standing before a king of flesh and blood, and your friend had come while you were speaking to the king. Your friend just happened to walk past and gave a greeting to you while you were speaking to the king. Would you have returned the greeting to him? He said, no, of course not. I would have been scared. I'm in the middle of speaking to the king. I'm not going to greet anybody else. And if you would have returned a greeting to your friend while you were speaking to the king, what would they have done to you? Oh my Lord, so they would, he said to him, off with your head. They would have cut my head off with a sword. So oh my Lord, so the man therefore said to him as follows, isn't it a Uma ato. Now if you, you've been standing in front of a king of flesh and blood, Shayon Khan, today he's here, and tomorrow he's in the grave, he will have died. Kach, that is how you behaved. In other words, that you wouldn't dare to interrupt if a friend is just passing while you were speaking to the king. And me, as for myself, I was standing in the I was standing before the king of kings. How much more so 
who will live forevermore and endure forever, how much more so was I right not to interrupt in the middle of my prayer to Hashem to speak to you, to return your greeting. So he was defending himself as to why he did not return the greeting. Miyad immediately that general was appeased. In other words, the general accepted the explanation that the Chosin Echod gave him. And this Chosin departed to home, his home in peace. That is a story. Now, the obvious question is this. At the end of the day, he put himself in danger, didn't he? He put himself in danger. How could he do that? And this general was correct. It says in the Torah, you're not allowed to put yourself in danger. So how could he, how did he know? All right, it worked out very well at the end of the day. He gave his excuse and his excuse was accepted. Fine. But how could you put yourself initially in danger? So he says as follows. He says the Chosid had grounds for believing that if he explains it to the to the general, the general will will agree. Because who was the one who initiated the greeting? It was the general. The general passed an ordinary person, and it was the general who greeted the ordinary person, which shows that this general must be being a humble man. Because normally generals don't greet you. You've got to greet the general. An ordinary person greets the general. So it shows he was a humble man, and therefore... This gave him the conviction or the confidence to know that since he's a humble man, he will probably wait until I explain to him. And I'm sure once I give him an explanation, he will accept it. That is what the slough says. Others say, there's other mafoshim that, that are brought and say, you know what? He actually didn't hear it. He was concentrating to such an extent this Chosid Echad was concentrating to such an extent, he did not hear the general greeting him. Now, any question on that? It's an obvious question. If that was the case, well, why didn't he say that? Why didn't he answer that? What does he give a long-winded explanation that it, it, it's a Kalvachaiba and turn around and say, if you would have been before an ordinary king, you would have behaved so, how much more so in front of the king of kings? He should have just told the truth. I'm very, very sorry. I didn't hear you. So what the Mephoshim answer is, he was clever, this Chosid, and he knew that it was so far-fetched, even though it was true, but it was so far-fetched that the general wouldn't believe it. And therefore, obviously, had he had he heard it, in the first place, he would have, he would have returned the greeting, because you're not allowed to put yourself in danger. But because he was so absorbed in his thriller, he didn't, he actually didn't hear it and that's why he didn't respond. And as to the reason, he gave a sort of, a, as we say, he gave a long-winded reason because he felt that the general's not going to accept that he didn't hear it. He doesn't realize that when somebody doesn't shaman esra, he can be so absorbed in his tefillah that he doesn't hear other people coming along. So that's the story. Right, let's carry on. Afilu nochosh koroch This is again, the Mishnah said, even if a snake is coiled round his heel, he shouldn't interrupt. Omar and They taught this rule only with regard to a snake. 
about Akrov Poyser. But if it's a scorpion, you may interrupt, even if you're in the middle of, of Shemadestra, and remove the insect, because scorpions are more likely to sting you and attack you than snakes are. Now, if I could just draw your attention to the Tyspus on Lamed Gimel Omadalov, the top one there, it says, Avalakrav Paisot, Yerushalmi Ka'omar, he brings Yerushalmi, which says that even though we say a nochosh is less likely to attack you, but the Imhoyon nochosh Martia, if it was a threatening snake, Lover connected, which was coming up to him, then Paisot, he should stop. The future book connector, because misgovernor Zika. Because since this snake is coming towards him in anger, the chances are that he is going to do damage to him. He's going to injure him. But what we're saying is, under normal circumstances, a nochosh, you mustn't, you mustn't be mastic if a nochosh is around your heel, because a nochosh is not likely to sting you. But a scorpion will do. Ask the Gemara Mesave a question. If a person fell into a lion's den, Right? And you don't know what happened after that. You just saw the person falling into the lion's den. Ain't me'idim olob shemes. On the strength of that fact alone, that is not enough to say that he definitely died and therefore allow his widow to remarry. Rashi explains why. Because the lions may not have caused him any injury or eaten him if they weren't hungry at that time. So therefore, even though we see him disappearing or falling into a lion's den, we can't be certain that he died. However, but if he fell into a pit which is full of snakes or scorpions, then we can assume automatically that he's dead and we can allow his widow to remarry. So what do we see from that? We see that snakes are as dangerous as scorpions. Because what does it say? If you fell into a pit of snakes or scorpions, you can automatically assume that he died. Now, we just said before, the Gemara said, just said before, that, yes, it's true, with a scorpion, you can assume that he will attack you, he will injure you, but not a snake. And here we see from this, Brysa, that a snake as well, not only a scorpion, but a snake as well will attack you. So much so that if you see him falling down a hole and you know there's snakes and scorpions at the bottom, you can automatically assume that he's no longer alive and you can allow his wife to remarry. Answers the Gemara, shiny muska. In the case of the Brysa, it's different because there we're talking about where he falls on top of them. He falls on top of the snakes or on the scorpions, and therefore by falling on top of them, he agitates them and annoys them, therefore they're going to attack. In other words, normally, if a snake comes towards you or whatever, he's not unlikely to attack. But if you fall on top of him, then he's going to attack. So the Brysa, which says, If you fell into a pit full of snakes or scorpions, you can bear witness that he died, is because of the pressure of falling on them, they get annoyed. Uh, Gerald? Yes. It's very interesting, just for facts, factual sake, Yeah. 90% of scorpions are not dangerous. Very few scorpions are dangerous. There's one or two species in Africa that are dangerous. Whereas the other way around with snakes, I would say 95% of snakes are very dangerous. And it's only 5%. For instance, in this country, you've got two species, the grass snake and the adder. 
The adder is dangerous, not the ground. Most snakes are dangerous. So it's just, I, I have the Gomorrah, I know it, I'm Hasatron, but it's factually incorrect. Well, thank you for all your knowledge on the subject. My I, subject. I, I would not like to fall into a pit either of snakes or scorpions. No, I'm just telling you, scorpions are not dangerous. Very right, few. Fair enough. Okay. I'm not taking any chances either. <laughs> but the question that the Mephoshim asks is... possible in Bob a little the other sa- way around. Sorry? Sorry? It's possible in Bob a little the other way around. Yeah, like it could be. Who knows? But <laughs> the point is that the Mephoshim asks, if we're talking about that a person fell down on the pit, and the reason why why the snake then becomes dangerous because you fall on the snake and you agitate it. What about the lion? We're saying if you fall down into a lion's pit, we're not worried because the lion may not be hungry. But if we're talking about that he falls on them, then surely, you know, the lions will consider that he's attacking them and they will attack. So the answer you must say is that a, um, a lion's pit is much, much larger than a snake and a scorpion's pit. You see, with the snakes and scorpions, you can have a tiny pit, and the snakes and scorpions can be at the bottom. A lion is a massive animal, and it walks around as well. So obviously the pit is much bigger. And therefore the chances of this, there are chances that even if you fall in, you're not going to fall on top of the lion. So therefore, if you fall on the floor there next to the lion, it's only if the lion is hungry that he's going to be interested in you. Otherwise not. Right. I think we've got to go to, what's the place in South Africa where all the animals are? The Kruger National Park. Yeah, we've got to go to Kruger National to see whether the Gomorrah is right or you are. Uh, well, again, for your information, I don't think there's any such thing as a lion's den, except in a zoo. If you go to the Kruger National Park, as I've been, it's not, there's no yeah. such thing as a den. They're in the savannah. And you walk well, past... I mean, Donnell was, your, your namesake was Begoy of Hyroyus, which is a yes, lion's den. Because there must have been a purpose-built den. But yeah. you, they don't, you, you never find a lion in a den. They're on so They're all on the loose. They're all on the loose. Yeah, yes, I agree what? with you. But here, obviously, they're being put into a den. Yes, yes. Are you and it's yeah. actually correct. A lion will mostly not attack you if they're not hungry. Yeah, oh, there you are. So you've agreed and with Rashi. Guide, as I said to my guide, if I get, there was about eight lions in front of us. And I said we were in a jeep, and I said, if I get out, would they attack me? He said, when you're in the jeep, they will not touch you. The minute you'll get out, they're your lunch. Yeah. Really? But what happens if they're not hungry? If they're not hungry, by and large, if they're threatened, they oh, will attack. That, that's what it is. But if they're not threatened, oh, they oh, will not. So, so that's why it's perfect. Because in other words, what you're saying is, even if they're not hungry, by the fact that you get off the, the what was it, the jeep. car... The jeep. the jeep, you get off the jeep, they think, feel they're threatened. So That's here it. as well, so here as well, if you fall on somebody, then they'll feel they're threatened. So that fits in very nicely with the Gomorrah. Absolutely. Okay, let's go a little bit further. I'm Rabbi Yitzhak, says Rabbi Yitzhak. Rosh If you observed bulls, then if you see bulls, then interrupt your fellow. Why? The Tony Ravashi, Ravashi has said, We distance ourselves from a bull that has not gored three times. So he's not known as some, as a bull who will always uh, gore people, but keep away 50 others. Right? It's about 100 foot. If you've got a bull that habitually gores, it's already gored three times, 
keep away as far as the eye can see. So it seems to be that bulls are very likely to attack. Tana Mishmed Reb a we've learnt a, a Bryson, the name of Reb Meir, Reish Tura even if the head of a bull is buried in its feeding basket, right, so you think, you know, when it's eating, it's not interested in anything else, it's not going to attack you. Nevertheless, slit liagra, go up to the roof, and remove the ladder from underneath you. Rashi explains that it doesn't mean literally remove the ladder, because bulls do not climb ladders. As far as I know, I don't know what they do in the safari, but I've never seen a, a bull climbing a ladder. So Rashi says, you don't take this literally. It just means be extremely careful. Okay? So Omar Shmuel, Shmuel Sul, he qualifies this. And he says... Yes, you've got to be very careful of a bull, right? Very, very careful. But particularly, Hanimili, this applies Bashar Shachal with a black bull of a Yomer Nisan and only during the days of Nisan, the month of Nisan. Because then the Sultan is dancing between his horns. What this means is as follows, that during the winter, there hasn't been much grass. When it comes to Nissan, which is the onset of spring, when spring starts and it starts and the, you start getting grass growing, then the the bull, which likes to eat the grass, gets very excited. And when it gets very excited, it's likely to attack you. Now, the Mephoshim explain, why does the bull have to be black? He said, the Gemara in Nozir Lamadala says as follows. There's three types of bulls. There's a black ox, a red ox, and a white ox. A white ox is ba- mainly used for ploughing. A red ox has got tasty meat. And the black ox, as you've got it for the hide. It's got the most valuable hide. So what they say is like this. In order to make sure that the, the, the meat stays tasty for the red ox or the plough the, for the white ox, they want the white ox to keep strong, they will give... They will, they will give food even during the winter when it's very, very scarce. They will still find food. The owners will find food for them because they want the, the, the red, for the red ox for the meat to stay tasty and for the white ox for plowing should be strong. But for the black ox, which is only the hide, the hide doesn't make any difference. You don't have to have nice food. It's just the hide. So therefore it's particularly the black ox who hasn't had so much food during the winter. So when it comes to Nissan and the grass is growing, then it gets doubly excited, not only because it's Nissan, but because it hasn't been fed so much during the winter as the red ox and the white ox. So that's how they explain this Gemara. Ton Rabono. There's a story, another story. It's always nice to have stories because it brings it, it. The Gemara never just tells us a story for the sake of storytelling. It, it tells us a story in order to learn a lesson. I remember, by the way, when, when we organized the, um, 75th anniversary, I, um, we, I, we asked, uh, we asked, um, Rabbi to be the guest speaker. But before I asked him, I had to clear it with Rabbi Feldman. So I said to Rabbi Feldman, you know, we've asked Rabbi Crone to be the guest speaker. Is that all right with you? He said, yes, of course, the storyteller. <laughs> Yes, I'm saying, so here we've also got stories, but he, when he told the stories, there was, you know, Pesach Krohn, he's got a story, but he's got a message with it. So here as well, we've got another story. Maisa Bamokamechon, Jehoiah Oroid, 
there was an oride. Now, question is, what is an oride? An oride is a crossbreed of a snake and a frog. I don't know what it's called, a toad or something. I don't know. But any case, that's what it is. So, Shahaya Orod, by your mother, And it would harm people. So they came and told Rebbe Bandaisa. I don't know why they didn't go to the doctor, but they went, they went to Rebbe Hanina Bandaisa. But you see, he was the man who could do Nisim. Omalahem, he said to them, Haruli Aschaira, show me the hole where this Arai disappears down. Heroschaira, they showed his, this hole. The Nosna Kevar Piachai, he put his heel over the mouth of this hole. Yotza on a shochai or mesa Whereupon this arid exited, bit him, and then the arid died. Now, if I can just draw your attention to Rashi, which is about five or six lines down where it starts getting wide, it's a mesa arid. So Rashi adds a few salient points to this so that we can understand the story. Motsotzi Bahag, I found in the Bahag, Hilchas Gadilas, they said in when this arrived, this crossbreed of a snake and frog would bite a person. If the arrived then gets to water first before a person gets to water, the person will die. And if the man gets to water first, the arrived would die. Now here, what happened was the nas and nase, a nase happened. Because Rabbi Hanina, he just put his heel over that hole. And this happened, Rabbi Hanina, v'nifka mayan mitachas A well, suddenly, a spring of water suddenly came up. There was no spring there before, because it was just a hole. But a spring came up so that the water, so that the odom came to the water. In other words, the person came to the water before the animal did, and therefore the animal died. Now, you're going to ask me, what does this Rashi mean? I haven't got a clue. I mean, why should it be that if an aride bites a person and it can't get, comes to water first, Mesa Odom, and if the person comes to water first, what is it? I don't know. I can't, can't tell you what it means. But it's obviously it was a nest that happened here. So, what happened was, he put this aride, this animal on his shoulder, and he brought him to the base of Medrash. Omalahem, he said to them, Ru'u Bonai, this is my children. It is not the Arroyd that kills, but it's the sin that kills. In other words, the Arroyd is merely an agent, a shliach, in carrying out a sentence against a person which Hashem has decided. And therefore his message to the people was rather than focus on the Arroyd, they would do far better than concentrating on the Averis because they've got no Averis, Hashem won't bring the Arroyd. But I saw Shah Omra at that time they said, Oilala Odom, woe to the man, Shapogabai Orod, who is met by an Arod, but Oilala Orod, and woe to the Orod, Shapogabai Rebbechanina Bandaisa, that is met by Rebbechanina Bandaisa, because that Orod, his, his life came to an end when he started out the Rebbechanina Bandaisa. The Marshal asked the question is, how could, how could Rebbechanina Bandaisa rely on a nace? He put his foot on top, Right? How did you know? You could have been, well, he was actually bitten, but it just so happens a nest happened and this water came up and we're told that if the man touches the water before the arrived, the arrived will die. How could you rely on that nest? Either two answers. One answer is that on 
A normal person can't rely on a nest, can't rely on a miracle. But on his madrig, on his level, he was such a, a, a important person. On his madrig, he could rely on a miracle. The other answer that Mashal gives, he says he has a totally different version. And this version comes from the Yerushalmi. And says so this story, he hasn't got this version of this story. He's talking about an Arayot came to Rabbi Hanina ben Dyson in the middle of davening. Right? He came to, and that fits in exactly with what we've been learning before, right? When you're in the middle of the Shemana Esra, the snake or scorpion comes. He was in the middle of the Shemana Esra, and he was attacked by the, by the Arayot, and he didn't stop, because as we said, the Arayot is a crossbreed of a snake and a uh, frog. So, and this fits in very well with what we've just learned in the Mishnah, that when a snake comes to you, don't stop, because a snake won't bite you. But what happened was, he didn't stop, and the animal died, and this happened that the animal died. So that's what the Marshal says, it's a completely, he, he says this story, he hasn't got that version of that story. The version that he's got is about the snake, or the arrived came to him in the middle of davening, and that fits in very well with what we've just learned, because that's the subject that we've been talking about. I just want to do the Mishnah, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, now, We say, We say in the bracha of because we carry on, The Gemara will ask, why do we say, why do we ask for rain in the bracha, which has got the resurrection of the dead? What's the connection? Also, the Gemara in Taunus asks, why do we call Mashiach Gevuras Geshomim? Gevuras Geshomim is the power of the rain. And it says that when the rain comes down, it comes down in power. As we've seen recently, you know, when rain comes down, it can come down, you know, very powerfully. That's why it's called Gevuras Geshomim. Or we ask for a Sheila, a request. In other words, when we mention Gevuras Geshomim in the first three brochures, as we've learned before, that's pure praise. But a request is Sha'ilah Bakashonim when we say the Saint Talamotalibrachov. And again the Gemara will ask, why do we uh, why do we say the Saint Talamata in the Bracha of Borakhalaina? What is the connection? And finally we have Habdullah Bakhananadas. On Matsu Shabbos we say Abdullah Atahanantonu. We insert it in the middle of the fourth bracha. We say it in Lakela Kodesh, and then we start with Atahanan, and in the middle of Atahanan we say Atahanantonu. That is what the Tanakhama says. That's the first view. Rabbi Kiva, I'm a Rabbi Kiva, says, I'm a bracha of Bifne Atzma. He says, Abdullah as a fourth blessing, as a self-contained bracha. So in other words, what he means is, he doubles up to bracha to Hashem up to Hokela Kodesh. Then he says a self-contained bracha regarding Abdullah. And then he goes on to Asachonen. So it's not inserted into the bracha of Atachayinen, but it's a bracha in its own right before you come to Atachayinen. And finally, Rebbe Lezer Ayman says, no, but Hadar, you say it in the bracha of Madhima Nachnulach, because we're thanking Hashem that there's a difference between Shabbos and Yontem, and between Shabbos and weekdays, etc. Therefore, it's more appropriate that when we're thanking Hashem, in any case, Madhima Nachnulach, we insert the Havdolah there. And that's what the Gemara will talk about next week, but we'll leave it there this, uh, this week. I I wish you all a good and healthy week.